the kingdom belongs to his sheep and your life is in the hands of a God who never sleeps fear not little lamb for the kingdom belongs to his sheep and your life is in the hands of a God who Welcome back to Tending Lambs. I'm Katie. I'm Abby. And I'm Sam. And today we are talking about how to deal with criticism of your parenting. This is one that comes up a lot in the group and I've had to deal with, I think we've all had to deal with how to avoid criticism and how to deal with it when it does happen. Uh, So we think this is a good one to go over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very, like, personal thing uh, to feel like your parenting is attacked. And I think especially, you know, as gentle parents, we try to also gentle people, other people, um, gentle gentle person them. So I think it's a good topic, you know, um, to try and tackle and help people think through how they're treating other people when they're criticized or, you know, just ways that they can avoid that altogether if it's possible. Yeah. And it can also be an opportunity to share with someone who might surprise you and being open-minded to it. That's definitely happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, our first main point, and this is one that I have to remember a lot um, because it just, it really, really helps. um, But it takes a bit of preparation is to prepare yourself emotionally for criticism because we know it's going to happen and it's kind of unavoidable with GP, you know, we're not exactly the majority here. So when we're in situations that are just naturally occurring around more punitive people, you know, you've got to be prepared for those situations emotionally. Um, And that takes a little bit of working on your own, um, working on your own confidence in your decision to parent your children gently mm-hmm. um, and also to, you know, work through uh, what could possibly be triggering situations. Yeah. You know, one thing that's really kind of helped me is to just expect that people will disagree with me. Yeah. Um, just, you know, <laughs> because we do kind of hold a minority view. Just Especially expect, in the church. Yeah. Just kind of expect that people will disagree And sometimes, a lot of times, those expectations are met. (laughs) Um, But sometimes I am pleasantly surprised, like like Sam was saying, where people maybe don't even disagree, but they're not as critical maybe as I expected or something like that. So just kind of emotionally preparing myself, I think it's kind of twofold. It's that, like just expecting that people won't agree with me so that I am not disappointed. Um, But then also... I think actually part of emotionally preparing myself is also kind of intellectually preparing myself. I feel like the more convinced I am by GP, the more confident I feel about the position. Um, So I think that actually helps me emotionally prepare too, because I don't feel insecure about it. 
Um, sometimes having conversations with people can be disarming, but um, yeah, I feel really confident in the position. And I think that that helps conversations go more smoothly because um, maybe my insecurities aren't as likely to flare up. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've spent a lot of time, um, especially talking with my husband about like, why do we do this? Because why we do this is the, I mean, that's the foundation you're working from. So if you're secure in your foundation, then when it comes up, I mean, inevitably when someone does kind of approach you or criticize you or (laughs) like attack what you're doing, the, the why is so important to you that it's, it's just, it's really close to your heart and something that you can be confident in. So if you've Mm -hmm. kind of sat down and gone over like the values and your priorities in this, then that comes to the forefront of the conversation for me anyway. Yeah. I think that's also one of the reasons it can be such a difficult thing. You know, it's it's hard to deal with criticism anyway, but when you have such a strong and like deep why for something and it gets criticized, it can be really triggering for me. It can be really difficult. And so like preparing for those moments and knowing and being confident in that why and that and and going into it knowing that you aren't being threatened. Right. You know, I think like my why isn't threatened. I'm, this is still the truth. This is still what I hold to. Like being able to talk to myself about those kinds of things is really, really important. Yeah. yeah. And it can be really hard when, I mean, with us, we have kind of a history of, of like, we were punitive and everything was awful and like all these behavioral struggles that we've gone through with our oldest and stuff. So when, I am caught off guard. Um, I usually don't have time to sit down and give everybody our family history. So yeah. kind of having like a home base to work from in my head is is really helpful. So one of the other things that we thought through was um, gentle personing, the person who is criticizing you. And I just have to add a caveat that this is assuming you're speaking to a person that is not dysfunctional or toxic in your life, um, but who you generally have a respectful relationship with and just misunderstands your perspective and your position. So, Yeah, it's, I think that's really important to remember that it, this isn't the kind of situation where you have a difficult time telling reality from non-reality when you're talking to this person and you're going in and you're trying to empathize with an abuser's abuse. That's not, you know, that's not what we're dealing with. We're just talking about, you know, parents, in-laws, friends, those kinds of people that are really, you know, you have a generally okay relationship with. Yeah. We'll get to that next about setting boundaries with people, which I think is also gentle personing. It's just kind of a different (laughs) perspective on it. Um, but some of the things we thought through were, um, Katie mentioned the Socratic method, just asking them open-ended questions. Um, you know, like, well, why do you think that? Or, or what makes you, does this type of parenting shock you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Come to that conclusion or what have you. Yeah. And just asking like those definitely open-ended questions, um, about, you know, why, they're asking these, their own kind of questions, you know, and it's kind of frustrating sometimes if you, you know, you don't want to be obnoxious with the, like always answering a question with a question, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it can be really, uh, you know, asking rhetorical questions too, 
-hmm. can also be helpful, like, uh, in making points, but, but gently and not, not aggressively, you know, just like, well, you know, what kind of, well, and asking questions is a good way to be a great listener. So if someone's coming at you with some presuppositions or even some baggage from their own past and you can kind of like if that can kind of I don't know you can get clued into that a little bit and that might be a lot more helpful in the conversation yeah yeah Yeah, for sure yeah uh another thing that we we went over when we were preparing for this episode was you know trying to empathize with their perspective just what you were saying Sam like um asking questions only gets you so far if your questions are not genuinely mm-hmm. asked. You know, if they're not genuine and somebody can tell that you're just trying to lead them to a certain answer, or if you're not actually listening, you're just trying to prove your point, like it's not going to go very far. But I, like, this is actually the, the hardest part for me of genuinely using the Socratic method because it requires you to really humble yourself and listen to criticism even if it's totally off base or you know stemming completely from a misunderstanding um being able to stop and not respond out of being triggered or being really hurt or upset and actually listen to what someone's saying and hear where it's coming from is really important yeah, as an adult, I've made a couple really good friends that, I mean, there's just a point with each of them where I sat back and they they were so genuine about what my position was, like out, almost outside of themselves and any of their opinions that it was just like, I remember these exact moments of being like, oh my gosh, they really care what I'm saying right now. And even if we had some form of like disagreement or um, just different views, mm-hmm. it meant a lot to me. And I think it taught me to be a better listener as well because I've, someone modeled that to yeah. me. Actually, that was one of the things that I found most powerful when my husband and I were talking, when Cornet and I first met. Uh, and he was actually an atheist. He had been uh, raised in a Christian home and had kind of defected, I guess. And, um, you know, so he thought he had all of the answers. and. Uh, it was really, really hard because, you know, of course, your faith is something that's super, super personal to you, and it really is a huge deal. So it was really hard. But um, I learned so much through stopping and really trying to understand his perspective. And in that, I was able to ask better questions as well, like, because I could hear. like really truly hear and understand his perspective and almost like not hold it myself but entertain it myself and okay so what if what he was saying or is saying were true Mm -hmm. you know what if I'm wrong um not that I am (laughs) but you know what if in some in, in in this universe you know entertaining the universe where he's correct here uh what would that look like what would that sound like what you know and and it really helped us uh, go so far. And it also helped him to be able to do that with me. So it can't be. I was, just, I was just listening. It's interesting you said that because I was just listening to something the other day that was talking about empathy. 
um, and how sympathy is like an emotive response to somebody. Um, And empathy is interesting because it combines both the ability to analyze, like analytical thinking, and um, relating emotionally. So it's kind of what you're talking about, Katie, like putting yourself in that person's shoes, analyzing what that would be like, Mm -hmm. and also analyzing how that might make that person feel or, you know, things like that. So yeah, that's really good. There's a really good video on that. We can probably put in the show notes. It's like a, an animation of someone. Um, they're doing a TED talk, but someone made an animation for it, like the difference between empathy and sympathy. So oh, yeah, we should do that. Yeah. Brene Brown is also a really great resource on that. It may have actually been her talking about it. It was just okay. something I saw a long time ago. Yeah, I really like her. She does a great job. So the next thing is um, related. Uh, but it's having boundaries with people and addressing your own triggers. So, you know, obviously with people who are just constantly or toxically criticizing or attacking your parenting, uh, those may be people that you need to have boundaries with. Um, Whether that means you just take a step back from the relationship um, or don't go as deep as you have in the past. Um, Yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Um, yeah, pretty much the same. I think that some relationships, you know, obviously require a bit, um, yeah, higher boundaries. <laughs> I'm thinking of a fence here, you know, larger right. fences. <laughs> some do, you know, I've heard of people even like, um, uh, yeah, reducing their relationship down to just meeting a Chick-fil-A every, you know, every couple of months with the kids so the kids can go play in the play place and they can talk or, or uh, even to where, you know, they're not even around the kids, like after bedtime or something, being able to like come over and have coffee or something. At least that's what you do here. I don't know if people, (laughs) you know, it's so weird. I don't know if people do that in the States, but here at eight o'clock people do coffee. So uh, yeah, eight o'clock at night. Yeah, they do. It's really, I was like, (laughs) guys are nuts anyway but something like that you know after after dinner time and after bedtime having them over but um you know that's not always required that kind of extreme thing sometimes it's really just a matter of hey um if you have a a problem please don't raise your voice uh just Mm -hmm. look at me or tell me you need something to change and Mm -hmm. I'll change it, you know, if it ne- if it's something that needs to be changed, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, there's some relationships where you don't have to say anything and you can just kind of gently bow out a little bit, like just still exist around them. But there are, I think there are sometimes definitely when it's worth it to be like, hey, this I'm seeing that we're having a clash and I think it might be healthiest for us to kind of set some like ground rules for our relationships. And yeah. that, I think that takes kind of some experience and discernment with every single situation right yeah right especially in family because you can't just not be family anymore (laughs) yeah yeah I think addressing triggers too that's such a big one um absolutely yeah like addressing your own triggers to know or to at least to try to be objective about situations in which um you're triggered and maybe the behavior on the part of the other person is, is not warranted, but maybe isn't 
as bad as it seems like it is to you because you feel triggered. I know that's happened to me quite a bit when I feel triggered. Maybe the situation objectively isn't, it's not great, but it's not the worst thing in the world. But because I feel triggered, it seems to me like the worst thing. Um, well, I mean, and our brain dumps specific hormones. So yeah, that, exactly. You know. <laughs> well, to make you, you know, think that it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Right. Well, what's funny about that is I was just listening to an episode of one of my favorite podcasts and it was on stress and the effects of stress on the brain. And um, they were talking about how um, in apes, the interviewee on this episode was a person who had spent a large amount of time, like 20 years working with primates in like Congo or something somewhere um, and observing them and saying that sometimes it is just a predisposition of a certain uh, ape, but that if a, um, you say you have two different tribes and they have the same amount of responsibilities, like they're in, or sorry, uh, this one uh, position within the tribe has the same amount of responsibilities, but one ape um, happens to find more things threatening. For example, a younger male coming and taking a nap close by. If if one, you know, you can see one ape that doesn't find that threatening and they're just hanging out and the other ape does find that threatening, they have a much, much harder time uh, with stress and the effects of stress and all of the things that come with that. And uh, sometimes it's personality driven. Sometimes it can be caused by trauma. Uh, But it's really important to kind of, uh, as objectively as you can, work through Mm -hmm. um, what things are making you feel threatened. And it's as warranted as you feel like it is. And I just want to add, that's not even just so that you don't go ham on other people. It's also for your own sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a good, healthy thing to do for your own sake. I mean, it's a really good quality to not go ham on other people. But um, yeah. I know working through my own stuff, my own triggers, um, has just made me a happier and healthier person. Mm-hmm. Two books that are really helpful for that are um, Peaceful Parents, Happy Kids, or Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids. Yes, I love that. Um, by, I think it's Dr. Laura Markham, and then Triggers by Amber Leah. Yep. And Triggers has a workbook too, which is super helpful. And the book and the workbook are very easily consumable. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm actually in the middle of Triggers, and I didn't realize this when I bought it. It just came so highly recommended. I was going to read it like a regular book. But what I really love is they actually broke it down into either 30 or 31 very short chapters, like Mm -hmm. three pages each. So it's almost meant to be done as like, not devotional, but just a short snippet every day for 30. Yeah, that's how the workbook is too. It's great. Yeah, it's been really nice. It's been just bite-sized pieces. Um, So yeah, I I really like that one. And I liked Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids as well. That's a good book. And kind of flowing out of the topic of triggers and boundaries would be the fact that you don't have to explain yourself um, every single time or any of the time. It really depends on your comfort level. You don't have to be a martyr for your gentle parenting views. It's, it is what it is and it means to you what it means to you. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not going to go away from you not entering into a conversation. Um, A lot of times you can just parent how you parent and I mean, in most situations, no one's going to know the difference. So for example, if you guys are 
if you and your family are having an issue and you remove yourselves from the situation, no one's going to be sitting and wondering like, oh, is she going in there to spank them or is she going in there to not spank them? (laughs) (laughs) And they generally don't ask either. No, most people are not going to ask. Some people are weird and they do ask. I mean, (laughs) and you don't have to answer them. (laughs) Exactly. That's the point. Um, Yeah. I like that one. Um, I feel like sometimes because we have a podcast, I've kind of signed up to be a GP martyr. (laughs) Um, But that's a really, that's a really healthy one for me to remember. (laughs) Well, someone can ask you, do you have a podcast? And you can be like, do I have a podcast? I'll use the Socratic method. Or I don't have to talk about this right now. I don't know. Do I? Anybody else? Yeah, this is a big one for me too, especially on the interwebs. Like, (laughs) I I really feel so often I get so dragged down in online discussions and arguments and disagreements, and I've really had to remind myself, like, I don't have to. Yeah, I really don't, especially when it's not directed at me. And I've had to just be like, Sam, you don't have to get, Sam, don't, just don't get involved. And you know what you can do is you can scroll on by and you're going to forget about it. And it's (laughs) not going to be a thing. And your life is going to be so much better for it. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Like no one, no one knows that you even exist right now. So just just go on by. (laughs) But I, I feel, I do feel this like obligation to like, you know, convert the world almost like, oh, I cannot let this go without correcting these people, you know? <laughs> yeah, justice must be served. I totally um, do understand, especially on some topics. Like, I mean, your actions towards kids are, it's, it's kind of important. So, right. I mean, there but, are opportunities where people are a little bit more open, but hard on social media to feel that out. Yeah. But, you know, in addition to this one, like not explaining yourself is, also the flip side of the coin which is like you know if you have a relationship with someone like an in-law for example that you know you're going to be have a few run-ins with it's a good thing probably to take you know whatever opportunities you find to explain Mm -hmm. you know what kind of parenting you are choosing to or what method of parenting you're choosing to use or how you're choosing to approach food or in discipline or whatever it is uh, to bring them on board almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've actually had that. um, My mother-in-law has been really great about this. She's, um, she's really tried to learn and understand and she's even read a lot of the books I've given her and she just, she really supports what we're doing. And, and so it's really awesome to feel like I can be open with her about like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, we're doing it this way. Like if Evie throws food on the floor or something like that, um, most people aren't used to that, you know? And like, um, so it's just, it's nice to be able to explain like, um, oh yeah, I know a lot of kids throw food on the floor. That's actually like a sensory experience for them. And it's called pre-eating, you know, and all this kind of stuff. We're doing the feeding littles course right now, just in case you couldn't tell. Um, (laughs) but I don't know. It's just kind of cool. Like, there are so many opportunities in daily life um, where methods do clash. And instead of feeling offended, I think it's a really good quality. It's a good thing to get in the habit of doing to just kindly explain why you do things differently. Um, yeah. I think people aren't used to that. I, I think they're not used to it just being addressed kindly, nonchalantly, you know, Oh yeah, we're, we're doing it a little bit differently. Um, 
we don't, we don't really consider that a terrible thing. You know, she'll eat, she's not going to starve herself kind of thing. So people who are either helping you by being a caregiver or someone who's just in your life a lot of the time, it doesn't have to be like, okay, I'm going to sit you down and give you a PowerPoint on everything we do. So right. like you don't have to throw everything in their face. I mean, sometimes you'll have a big conversation up front and it to goes totally well or it's necessary. But a lot of the times in interactions, like even with, we see my parents constantly, they live really close and we see them a couple times a week, like usually. So there's just been a lot of little things that we've discussed over the course of time to kind of bring them in because they are supportive. I think they were a little weirded out at first, but it was just all those little things rather than mm -hmm. honestly, had I, had I done my normal thing and given a speech or something or gotten really uh, cagey about it, then it may not have gone so well. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I think one way to, to accomplish that is kind of how we've approached things with uh, uh, my in-laws. Uh, we haven't sat down and had the talk with them, you know, like we're not the, not, we're not spanking talk, but I have noticed that they follow our lead. And I really am thankful for the in-laws that I have, even though, you know, there of course are some pretty major differences in, I think the way that they would raise Calvin versus the way we are. Um, but they've done a pretty good job of respecting our, parenting and following our lead and notice I think they do very much notice that we don't spank and that we respond very non-punitively when something uh, comes up like an opportunity to spank or to reprimand very harshly um, and I think uh, yeah the point of me saying this is just modeling very intentionally mm -hmm. modeling like making sure you are calm and you are staying unruffled in particular around people who may otherwise be very punitive mm -hmm. can really uh help um oh g just give a good example of what you're trying to accomplish yeah yeah, yeah, and most people will follow your lead with your kids, like when they're right. when they're entertaining your kids or part of whatever you guys are doing. Like the majority of people will kind of like, I mean, and they might express some concern or be like, "What are you doing?" But, right. <laughs> but generally, they will follow along because people respect that they're your children most of the time. Yeah. So, what are some ways to remain calm in high pressure situations where maybe you are around people who? have been or could be or are critical of your parenting? Ooh. Um, well, one of the ways for me, sometimes one of the areas where uh, I do have a little contention with, with my father-in-law in particular is that he will start raising his voice when Calvin goes to grab something he shouldn't, you know, and it's not an angry thing, or at least I can, I understand, I can see what's happening. It's not a very angry raising of his voice it's more of a like booming like listen you know i i'm trying to get calvin's attention mm -hmm. um but in those situations i really have to take a deep breath and insert myself into the situation before it escalates mm -hmm. that has been a really really big one is the breathing calmly and inserting myself before it gets yeah any well, yeah. and breathing is a life skill <laughs> like being able to it, it actually, <laughs> literally 
Oh, yeah. No, literally. Um, <laughs> I meant in the sense of knowing how to. <laughs> That's going to be a quote on the post next week. I didn't actually mean that to be sarcastic, but. Uh, <laughs> no, I know, but it was just really funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, it affects your, your limbic system. So being able to calm yourself and right. do effective breathing exercises helps with anxiety, helps with getting, especially, what is it? Yeah, um, in Whole Brain Child, the way that they explain the, the upside or the. Um, the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain and, and flipping your lid and stuff. And a lot of that goes back to the little exercises you can do to help your kid get back. That has taught me so much on yeah. self-regulation is yeah. learning about child development and how to help them. Um, yeah. And especially in situations like you're explaining with your father-in-law getting louder. I know with my husband and I, have, we've na- as we've navigated this, he's a really loud person in general. So him getting someone's attention is going to kind of naturally be louder and more abrupt than me getting someone's attention. So there's been times where he's gotten loud. I've gotten triggered and I've like basically responded the same way. So instead of me breathing and acting calmly, I've exacerbated the situation. Yeah. I think that um, the breathing thing, like taking a big deep breath and then reminding myself of my why, like, um, Mm. and also that honestly, the other person is not the priority that my child is. Yes. Um, That has really helped me because I'm a very non-confrontational person. So the way I've kind of tried to handle it thus far is kind of the deep breath, reminding myself like my child is my priority in this situation, not saving face. (laughs) Kind of. <laughs> and then stepping in, um, kind of how Janet Lansbury says, like with as little as possible, mm-hmm. like not making a big scene where it's not necessary, but maybe just stepping in and getting down to my daughter's level and speaking to her the way I want her spoken to. Yep. Um, that can help de-escalate a situation too yeah. if there is some... That's where like I try to start. Is, yeah. Is kind of angry or upset or something because if you go towards them and try to correct or redirect them they might see that as an attack and they can get yeah right. get on the child's level and you're just modeling then that's really non-threatening yeah i think that point that you just made abby is such a big one for me because i'm also it's i'm getting a little better about it but i'm naturally really conflict avoidant and so um really reminding myself in that moment like how is Calvin perceiving this situation? Mm-hmm. Like, what is, you know, what is he thinking? How is he feeling right now that that is the priority is, is a really big one. And then, you know, like we said, inserting yourself with as little gusto as necessary. <laughs> right. I think another really good one is just taking discipline to private as much as possible. And not even just for the sake of avoiding conflict with the other person, but just for the respect of your child. Um, I think, you know, keeping it as private as possible is just a respectful thing to do for them as well. Well, it's really helpful cutting down on stimulation and everything going, going on. And when you say discipline, I just want to make sure I understand you mean like correction, like, yeah, like correction, calming down, time in, whatever you need to do, just even not verbally correcting them in front of other people. Yeah. I don't want to be verbally corrected in front of other people. So I kind of think of it that way. Like I'd rather my husband tell me later, you know, <laughs> so try to extend that to our kids as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think just to draw out a point that I made earlier, one of the things that's really important is stopping the potentially bad situations before they start, before they even begin by inserting yourself, you know, seeing a situation that you know is going to potentially be problematic and stepping in. Um, it's not just about avoiding the criticism uh, because you can also protect your kid in these kinds of situations for, from being potentially harmed like uh if you know taking the getting loud the raising of the voice of uh of my father-in-law that if that were to escalate he's not going to hit calvin i i really highly doubt that i would never have calvin in a situation where i thought that that was possible but um that could be you know really harmful to his relationship with his father-in-law or mm -hmm. with my father-in-law and to his development to, you know, just being yelled at is just not great. And so, you know, trying to head that off at the pass. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. One thing I wanted to add is just, this is kind of counterintuitive, but just glean what you can from people. Um, sometimes people that criticize you and you completely disagree with, um, you know, my grandmother always said it winds up one of two ways. You either sharpen your views and become more, um, convicted of them, or you may change your views. Um, if you find that, you know, that person criticized me and that wasn't right of them, but they may have been right about X, Y, Z, you know? Um, so I think that's just a good way to approach life. Try to take criticism um, in stride and glean what you can from it. Yeah, there's just, there's certain relationships too where you'd be really surprised that you can learn from people. Um, I know my sister-in-law and I parent in entirely different ways and she still has given me a lot of wisdom on especially really practical things. You know, she's a more seasoned mom than I am so she understands a little bit about the stages that not a little bit she understands a lot about the stages that we go through um, and so she is able to offer us advice even though we parent differently and even yeah. though like there's an understanding that we parent differently. Yeah, um, that's really great. And um, I guess something that we should definitely add is not to let people look down on you because whether you are an experienced mom or you're a brand new mom or dad, um, you're allowed to have formed and educated views on this. I mean, just because your kids are little doesn't mean that someone has superiority over you and your parenting because mm -hmm. they've had kids longer. That's, we're all very capable of educating ourselves. So people either kind of need to respect that or move along. Yeah. I think where this comes into play for me in particular is on the philosophical side. And, you know, it just bothers the heck out of me when someone says, oh, you don't use spanking now, but just wait, you know, wait until you hit the terrible twos or wait until, you know, you get to four years old and wait until this age. And it's always, you know, wait until this age, wait until you see. Right. But, you know, I don't need a situation that is really, really frustrating to tell me that like, oh, okay, well, suddenly hitting my kid is okay. You know, I can, I can decide right and wrong before I even have kids. You know, you don't even have to have children to, to be able to form a real solid opinion on whether or not you believe spanking is wrong or the type yeah. of approach you want to use. Well, and as well as like, 
we find that this position is entirely biblical. So if someone wants to really take you to task and be like, well, you don't know because you don't have the experience or you haven't faced this certain circumstance, take them to scripture or just know that you, if you've studied and you are convicted of this and you know that the Bible supports you, then <laughs> what else, what yeah, else do you need? It doesn't what really matter what situations you faced at that point, you know? Yeah. No, Experience we does matter and I don't want to undermine that. Oh, absolutely. And there's so much we can glean from parents who have been parents for a long time. I I just love having older parents and grandparents in our group for that reason because, you know, some of them have raised a whole brood of kids and now they're raising a second generation of of kids. Right. I think of Dr. John Owsley. Like I just love having those people in our group because they are full of experience and wisdom. But you don't have to have raised a 29 or 30 year old to to have a biblical stance on parenting. Yeah. Right. Well, I think this is the perfect place to, first of all, plug our group (laughs) because we have a variety of experience in that group. So if you're not part of it, um, we'd certainly love to have you in there. It's the Tending Lambs group, a gentle parenting community. And I think we can pretty much wrap up on that note. Thanks so much for listening to Tending Lambs. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please join our Facebook group, Tending Lambs Community Group. You can follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash tendinglambs, and find the show notes page and lots of other gentle parenting resources at our website, tendinglambs.com. Until next time.